Amen. When you get your knees replaced, you have to Skype in. You can't go in, okay? And uh, so I have um, one metal knee, and uh, what a blessing to have titanium. If they had titanium brains, boy, I'd be in good shape, you know? I, I, young people, that was awesome. And I want to tell you, you did a great job with that. And I don't just mean in the doing of it. It was meaningful and uh, was a real blessing to this old preacher's heart. I'm going to have to preach all night like this, I guess. But uh, I, I just want to take a minute and commend the young people. Uh, I preached in chapel this morning. And honestly, there are so many young people that both of these sections are literally filled up with 6th through 12th graders. And I preached, now you have to know me, I don't, I'm not a short, I'm a short preacher, but I'm not a brief preacher, okay? And I preached a little longer than I probably should have in that chapel service, and not one time did did I sense that somebody wasn't attentive or somebody was causing a, a, a disturbance. I just want you to know that just speaks well of you young people. And uh, now they're up there thinking, boy, I'm glad he didn't see me because no. <laughs> but uh, it was a blessing and they were attentive and they did respond. And I think we had a young man get saved this morning. And so I rejoice in that. But uh, that was just a tremendous program and spoke to my heart. I mean that. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what God did in my heart. You see all those flags, and I know God didn't make the flags, and I know God didn't make uh, the cardboard names or the, the paper names of the countries. But as I saw those 50, 60, I don't know how many there were, but all those nations represented. You know what it reminded me of? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And you know what? That's a truth that we never want to get too far away from. We want to remember that we are in this world and God loves this world. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't like what the people of this world does do. Sometimes I'd like to go out in West Virginia and buy 300 acres and build 40-foot walls all around that 300 acres. And I'd like to bring my family in, and a few others that I like, maybe three or four. And, uh, and I would just like to say, world, leave us alone. But then I remember that God loves every single one of them. And that they are of great value to the Lord, whether they look like me, or agree with me, or talk like me, or live like I live. God loves them. And uh, that's the challenge of this conference tonight. How do we reach those that God loves in that way? Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Romans chapter 10 tonight, would you? Romans chapter 10. And I want to speak to you for just a few moments, and I'll be conscious of the time tonight. The other thought I had when those young people were in here is, man, I'm glad I get to go to church. All I do is go to church. Literally, all I do is go to church. We're on the road about, I think, 42 plus weeks this year, and we're in church four, five, six nights. If I don't have fun in church, I don't have fun. That's just all there is to it. 
And tonight was an absolute refreshment to me. It was a blessing to me. I just can't get over it, young people, and I thank you so much for it. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad of that? How many of you believe that? Well, I believe that. That's the verse that God used in my life when I got saved. And man, I prayed a deeply theological prayer. I'm telling you, it was a powerful theological prayer. It went something like this. God, if you can save somebody like me, would you save me? And he did. And man, what a difference it has made in my life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your blessing on our lives. Lord, we're so thankful for what we've seen and heard tonight. There's so much potential, so much hope in the lives of these young people. I'm thankful for every parent that makes a sacrifice to have them in this Christian school that sees the value of having them trained not only in good academics, but in spiritual truth. Thank you for every grandparent that helps in that as well. Lord, I pray tonight now as we gather for these few moments and think about your word, I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you help us? This is your word. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would take it And apply it to our hearts as you would, as you see that we need. And Lord, I pray that not one single person would just sit here and and just as if they performed a duty, get through the service without allowing you to, to speak to them. I pray that they would see themselves in your word tonight and that each and every one of us would leave this place with a decision made in our heart. So God, help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I told you last night briefly, and I'll just recount it for a moment. My father was 62 years old when he got saved. He didn't know the Lord. Oh, he knew things about the Lord. But it was an afternoon, he told me. My brother and I were grown and out of, our, out of the home. We were married and had children of our own. And Dad said he was home, and a, a knock came on the door. And he answered the door, and it was uh, two young men there, and they were dressed nicely, he said. This is back in probably 73, 74. And he said when they were on that porch step, he said, I don't know why, he, he, was, he was a nice fella, but he wasn't a particularly vocal guy, he didn't really uh, like to meet people, he was kind of a reserved man, and, and he said, for whatever reason, Mickey, that's what he called me, he said, God just touched my heart and said, hear what these fellows have to say, 
And one of them began to ask him, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he said, oh, I know who God is. And the young man said, no, I didn't ask you if you know who God is. I ask you, did you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And that intrigued him. And long story short, which I hate to do, he invited them in and they spent the next 20 or 30 minutes talking to my father about Jesus Christ. And at 62 years of age, he bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. And it changed the whole direction of our family. It changed the whole direction of my life, of the life of my family, because somebody believed the gospel and somebody went to that house, I think on a Saturday afternoon, and somebody stepped out of their comfort zone and knocked on a door and talked to an old man and led him to Jesus Christ. Now I want to tell you, what God could do then, God can do the same now. And God has a love for every person on this world. I don't understand the cultures of this world. I I look at Brother Gilbert's uh, slide slide presentation. That kind of dates me, doesn't the video... And uh, I see that shaman. I don't know what that guy's doing. I I have no way to connect with that other than I know God and God loves that man. God loved those women that were in that who were weeping and had no hope. God loves that, that little boy on the plains of Uganda. He loves that old man sitting in in some of the darkest provinces of China, not only does God love them, He knows their name and He knows their need. And, And if somebody would tell them about Jesus Christ, then they could call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. And so it devolves to us. If that's true, What do you and I do? I used to ask myself this question as a pastor. How how do I convince the people that I get to pastor? How do I convince them to get involved with, with missions? How do I convince them that God loves this big world, that we can't even comprehend the size of it, the scope of it? How do I convince them? And I, I for a long time thought, well, I need to come up with a program. I need to come up with a plan. It must be my responsibility to to get them to see the need. And then one day, God just smote my heart. Now, please don't misunderstand. I think programs help. But God said, Mickey, now God called me what my dad called me. He said, Mickey, try the Word of God. Try the Word of God. And see if knowing the Word of God won't convince people that I want to reach this world. Not too long ago, I ran across a, an organization, a volunteer organization. And they had a slogan. It was a secular organization, so I won't mention the name of it. But it was a secular organization. And their motto was this, Be the Cause. 
be the cause. And then they went on with what they were trying to accomplish. And their point was, be the cause that such and such gets sold and such and such happens. And I'll tell you, when I saw that, it just arrested me. And I thought, man, shouldn't believers be the cause that the gospel is heard throughout this entire world? And shouldn't that be enough motivation to take the gospel to every creature and let every creature make a decision? Do you want to trust Christ as your Savior? Now, here's what I want to do tonight and briefly. I want to just ask you three scriptural questions. And from those three scriptural questions, let's come to a conclusion that we must get involved in this thing called worldwide missions. Here's number one. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? I told you my dad's salvation. I told you my salvation. I can't get over it. It was back in 1975. I know there's power in the Word of God. I know there is power in the gospel because it changed me. The gospel changed my direction. It changed my heart. It changed my mind. It changed everything about my life. And so I know that there is a transforming power in the gospel. Man, our world has so much religious stuff. They've got worship in this cathedral, belong to this denomination, fall down before this idol, but absolutely none of that changes a man's soul. There's a lot of spiritual leaders, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, pagan gods. I was in a missions conference not long ago, and a man going to Nepal said there are three and a half million gods that the Nepalese worship. And I thought, how in the world do you keep that straight? Three and a half million gods. Then I got to thinking, well, maybe. I mean, we've got the god of sports. We've got the God of academics. We've got the God of career. We've got the God of pleasure. We've got the God of money. I don't know if I can come up with three and a half million, but I guess if you give me several hours, I can try. I'm just telling you the mind of man wants to worship what it wants to worship. We want to worship what we decide is important enough to worship. But whatever we worship and whatever the devil brings to us to worship, there is only one name. There is only one person that a human soul can call upon and be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was not a vile sinner. I was a working guy. But my God was money. I was not raised in luxury. We were pretty hard scrabble. My father had tuberculosis. And for many, many years, I never lived in a home that we did not live with my grandmother. And boy, I thought when I got out of there, I'm not living like that. I'm going to have my house, my car. I'm going to live my way, and I'm going to make money. And I set about to make money. And I want to tell you, if I'd have made a million trillion dollars, 
it wouldn't have been enough to save my soul. There's nothing else in this world other than Jesus Christ that can save a man's soul. And yet we constantly look for something else. We constantly go to other gods. But I'm here to tell you the only power to transform a life is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing truth. Take that message, take it to any continent, Take it to any city, take it to any street, take it to any door, and talk to any man and offer him the possibility of knowing Jesus Christ, of seeing that He is indeed a sinner. I don't care what the color of His skin is. I don't care what His nation is. I don't care what His religion is. I don't care what His career is. I don't care whether what His status in the economy or in culture is. Offer Him the gospel. And any and every man can call upon the name of Jesus Christ and He can be saved. Do you believe that to be true? Then why in the world aren't we flooding the world with that truth? Because there is power in that message. There is power in the gospel. But you know what it takes? It takes somebody to say, I will be the cause that somebody hears that message. There was a day that the Apostle Paul sat in the city of Troas. And he was in the city of Troas not because he wanted to be, but because God had closed doors every time he had tried to travel somewhere else. And the Bible says that night when Paul pillowed his head in Troas that God sent him a vision. And the vision that God sent him was called the, we call the Macedonian call. And that man in Macedonia was calling out to Paul, come over and help us, come over and help us. And, and Paul had a decision to make. He had wanted to go to Asia Minor. He had wanted to go to other parts. But God was saying, I want you to go to Macedonia. And to do so, he was going to have to take the gospel and jump an ocean and go to a place where it had never been preached before and unknown how he would be received and unknown how he would get there. But when Paul woke that morning, he said, I believe God's called me to Macedonia. And he became the cause that for the first time in human history, the gospel was preached in Europe. And by the way, because it was preached in Europe, thousands of years or hundreds of years later, it got to us. And I'm just here to tell you tonight that I don't care where that man is, if he's confronted with the truth that he is a sinner and confronted with the great truth that God Almighty loves him like he is, where he is, how he is, and sent his son to save him, he can call upon the name of Jesus and he can be saved. Do you believe that? Then be the cause. It's easy to say we believe. But what do we do about what we believe? Let me ask you a second question. Do you believe they need to hear that message? Do you believe lost people need to hear that message? Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? 
Man, our world is a hurting world. It's hurting from disease, from hunger. It hurts from illiteracy and a hundred other malignant forces. But I want you to know that the gospel is the answer to all the hurts of the world. I had a man one day come to me and it was in the middle of a missions conference. He wasn't a member of our church, but he had visited. He had heard about what we were doing and he, quite frankly, was skeptic. And he came to me after I had preached a message similar to this and of the great need to get the gospel out and to preach the gospel, that the greatest need of every man was to trust Christ as Savior. And he came to me and said, I want to ask you a question, preacher. Now when they do that, you can, you can be pretty sure it's not going to be a happy question. He said, you tell me, how does a man eat a Bible? How does a man eat a Bible? And his point was this. His point was, man, there's people starving all over the world and what you want to do is send Bibles. There's people starving all over the world and what you want to do is go preach to starving people. He's pointing out to me that I ought to get my doctrine straight and my head straight and send somebody over there to teach people how to farm and how to fish and teach them how to read and then they could feed themselves. Yes, but if they feed themselves and they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, all we've done is fill the belly to send it to hell. I am glad for every belly that gets fed. I'm glad for every program that helps sick people on a mission field. But listen, the primary responsibility we have is to send preaching preachers to plant churches because our commission is to teach them. That means make disciples. It is to baptize them. That's to help them identify with Christ and then to plant that church and spend time teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He has commanded. And everywhere the gospel goes, it brings freedom with it. It brings initiative with it. It lifts people. We must send the gospel. Hey, don't hear me condemning medical missions. I'm for it. Just preach the gospel while you're doing it. I think I I met a missionary last week to Papua New Guinea. And he saved and saved to buy a a rig that he could drill wells with. And now he's got a well digging ministry. And he's leading whole villages to Christ because he can do things like that. I'm for that. But every tool must be to the point of preaching the gospel because if they don't hear, they cannot believe. And if they don't believe, my friend, They cannot be saved. Let me ask you a third question. Do you believe that God wants to enable others to go? Verse 15 says this, How shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? Verse 14 asks the question, How shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15 asks us, But how will they go there and preach? unless they're sent. The simple truth is that the method God has chosen to use to get His gospel to the ears of those who have never heard is what we discussed last night. It's people like you and I in churches like this 
coming together and seeing the need that the world has and seeing the plan that God has set forth and then understanding that we are the ones who are to hold the ropes. We are the ones to have the gift of helps. We are the ones to make the sacrifice so that others can go and preach the gospel so that they can hear the gospel so that they can call upon the name of the Lord. You ever heard of the gift of helps? The gift of helps. It's not a gift that is much coveted. I want the gift of administration because then I run stuff. I'm the big boss. And I love being the boss. I like the gifts of pastor-teacher because then I get to stand up and do this. Yell. But the gift of helps? The gift of helps, that just means you're kind of in the background and you're doing the stuff that nobody sees is getting done and and you're doing the things that really are necessary for the whole program to move forward and and you're not the face and you're not the name and you're not the one who is congratulated and you're not the one who is appreciated and lauded but without you it doesn't work I want to tell you you know what we need we need millions of people who understand that their job is to help get men and women to places where the gospel needs to be preached so that it can be preached so that people can be saved. Preacher mentioned the Valley of Elah and he gave me this. This is the stone that David killed Goliath with. He told me it was and it's got a little red on it. Looks like crayon, but it... it David was sent to his brothers by his father. He was sent with vittles. And when he got up there, he, he was a little bit amazed at what he was looking at and what he was seeing because every morning as all the Israeli army, army were, were couched in their trenches and behind their works, this huge giant from the Philistines would come down into the valley of Elah and he would just begin to curse God. Just say vile things about God of Israel. And David would look up and down the line. I, he probably looked at Eliab first, Shammah second, and said, what? Hey, am I the only one that hears that? And uh, they, well, no, you, you just have to understand, uh, he's a giant of the Philistines. And, uh, and he looked down and he said, is somebody going to do that? Is somebody going to take care of that? And all these men of war crouching behind uh, and in these trenches and nobody is answering and finally David has had enough and he says what have I now done is there not a cause you know what he was saying he is saying how can you let this go on how can we stay here in safety and relative comfort when that giant is blaspheming our God? And listen, it wasn't enough that he said, is there not a cause? He got up and he found five smooth stones and had a sling and turned down the armament of Saul and went down and slew that giant. Is there not a cause? We come into our church auditoriums week after week after week. We come in and we learn, we hear that the world is still lost. 
where I went to Bible college, a few BBCers will remember this, that out in front of the administration building, there was this amazing sign or, or monument, and it said, enter to learn, go forth to serve. You know what we love? We love the enter to learn part. We love the come together for fellowship part. We love to memorize Scripture. We love to study the Scripture. We love to talk about it over coffee. We love it. We love it. We love it. But is there not a cause? We enter to learn, but where is the go forth to serve? Well, I could give you a lot of names tonight. I could talk about men like Adnarm Judson, the cause that thousands were saved in Burma. I could talk about William Carey, the cause that thousands of souls in India came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I could talk about Robert Moffat and David Livingston. I could talk about Mary Slessor and Darlene Dibler Rose. I could talk about John and Betty Stamm. I could talk about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. I could talk about missionaries, great names and men and women who have been greatly used of God. But you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could name the millions whose names we don't know who during the week of missions conference said, God, you've not called me to go, but is there not a cause? Is there not something I need to be doing? Am I not called to sacrifice as Judson went through what he went through in Myanmar and Burma as he suffered what he suffered as they lost children on the mission field? Is, is it for me to just sit in a room and to be glad that somebody is out there? Or is there a cause for my life? Is there a sacrifice that I am called out? And the answer is yes. And so I say to you, will you not be the cause that more missionaries can go? You say, preacher, what do you mean? I'm saying increase your giving. Oh, preacher, you just don't understand. I'm on a limited income. Well, I've been on one all my life. God, help me. Give me a spirit of sacrifice. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about faith, promise, giving. And it's, it's a word that sometimes we don't like to hear. We like the faith. We like the promise. But can I add another word to it? Sacrificial giving. And folks, I'm here to tell you that there is a world that is lost. And there is not a man or woman in that world who cannot call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. But they have to hear. And before they can hear, men and women have to be sent. And that's our job. We cannot sit and be satisfied with where we are. The status quo. We are called to see the need and be the cause that more may go. Would you pray with me?